If you will join me in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to be looking this morning at verses 21 through 24. We've had a very long journey through Paul's letter to the Ephesians verse by verse, and this morning we come to the very end. The title of our sermon this morning is A Loving Goodbye, and our key words for our worshipers in training are faith, peace, and love. Now, most of you know the name C.S. Lewis. Uh, Lewis was part of a, a famous circle of friends and literary enthusiasts who were called the Inklings. Along with Lewis was uh, another Inkling you're likely familiar with, J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, who is the author of The Lord of the Rings. And Lewis and Tolkien were the nucleus of the group. They spent the most time together and most people gathered around them. But there was another one of their friends among them who was the Oxford Review editor named Charles Williams. And Charles Williams died unexpectedly right after World War II. And and many among the Inklings were very close friends. And they spent a lot of time together. And that was especially true of these three men. And in his book, The Four Loves, Lewis wrote a meditation on Charles's death in an essay entitled Friendship. And here's what he wrote. He said, in each of my friends, there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I am not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want others' lights than my own to show all his facets. Now that Charles is dead, I shall never again see Tolkien's reaction to a specifically Charles joke. Far from having more of Tolkien, having him to myself now that Charles is away, I have less of Tolkien. In this, friendship exhibits a glorious nearness by resemblance to heaven itself, where the very multitude of the blessed, which no man can number, increases the fruition which each of us has of God. For every soul seeing him in her own way doubtless communicates that unique vision to all the rest. That, says an old author, is why the seraphim in Isaiah's vision are crying, holy, holy, holy to one another. The more we thus share the heavenly bread between us, the more we shall have. This is a beautiful description of close friendships. The kind of friendships that last a lifetime, the kind of friendships that sadly many people never really experience, and yet a friendship that makes us more of who God intends us to be. The shared experience of life over over long periods of time with another person or with other groups of people that tie our hearts, that tie our souls together, giving us this unshakable, this, this unmovable esteem and love between friends that that doesn't diminish, even if in times the two rarely see one another. There are are a few examples of this kind of friendship in the Bible. I think of David and and Jonathan. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 18, the, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Have you ever had a friend like that? Someone you share your life with so deeply and so profoundly that it could be said that your soul was knit together with theirs. Well, as I think about the relationship 
the Apostle Paul had with a man named Tychicus. I think of this kind of friendship. Surely there were several others among them that were part of a circle of friends and ministry partners and travel companions. But if you look closely in the Bible, you'll see that Tychicus was among Paul and his band of companions, and it was always there by his side all the time. If you're not a careful reader, you might actually miss it in the text. Uh, But it appears as though he was part of most of what Paul experienced in his epic life. And as Paul nears the end of his letter to the Ephesian churches, we get a glimpse of this relationship as well as Paul's love for the people of Ephesus and in general the people that he ministered to throughout his life. We're also given some very helpful instruction through Paul's example of how we might be praying for one another and loving the body of Christ. This is Paul's loving goodbye to a church that he planted and carefully instructed through his letter and also through his letters to their pastor, Timothy. But it's a fitting end to Paul's letter to the Ephesians. It's very personal in nature. So let's look together beginning in verse 21 of Ephesians chapter 6. If you're using the blue ESV Bible, you can find that on page 979. The Apostle Paul writes, So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Well, there are three things for us to look at in our text this morning. The first we see in verses 21 and 22, and that is that gospel ministry requires faithful partnerships. Now, mankind has certainly latched on to the sentiment expressed in those famous words of Frank Sinatra, I've lived a life that's full, I've traveled each and every highway, and much, much more than this, I did it my way. But doing it my way is a far cry from doing it God's way. And God's way is walking side by side, linked arm in arm with other Christians. And for most of us, our lives have been filled with encouragements from others to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. And and if we want something, we need to go out and get it on our own. If we want something done right, we better just go ahead and do it ourselves. But the Christian life, and and particularly gospel ministry, is not intended to be lived and worked through alone. We see that even among the most amazing saints in the Christian church. Now, there are actually five times that the Bible mentions by name Tychicus. In addition to verse 21 here, we see his name mentioned in Acts chapter 20, Colossians chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4, and Titus Chapter 3, he's probably not someone whose name comes up in Bible studies a lot. Parents probably don't gather their children around a lot and say to their kids, I'm praying that God will give you a heart like Tychicus, but we should pray that. We should pray that for our children. Tychicus was a godly man. 
He was a faithful uh, companion to Paul. And as, as far as we can tell, he was one of the few who stood by Paul to the very end of his life. The first time we see him is at the end of Paul's missionary work in the city of Ephesus. And it's likely that it was in Ephesus where Tychicus was converted under Paul's ministry. And we have every reason to believe because of the follow-on mentions of Tychicus, that he likely left Ephesus with Paul after the uprising of the silversmiths, which led to his journey to Macedonia. Now, Tychicus was also among the seven who accompanied Paul when he returned to Jerusalem, where he was ultimately arrested. It was likely that he carried the offering from the brethren in Macedonia to the poor in Jerusalem, we read about that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And once Paul was arrested, Tychicus was with Luke and a few others who stayed with Paul through his journey to Rome, which included an arrest and imprisonment in Caesarea. Now, this includes appearances before governors and kings, miserable voyages by land and sea, shipwrecks en route to Rome, and then being under house arrest awaiting trial. You know, sometimes we, we tend to read the Bible and, and assume a guy like Paul was sort of out doing all that he did on his own. But the reality is that the Apostle Paul was rarely by himself. There were many players in the work of the ministry alongside Paul. And the most faithful and the most trusted among them was Tychicus. Their souls were knit together. And to work together in such a way, this wasn't some kind of formal work relationship. This wasn't a man who was simply Paul's go-getter, but there was a mutual love and respect, and there was a profound and deep friendship among them. Now, there's no doubt that many of the trials and many of the temptations and much of the suffering that Paul endured also came upon Tychicus, just the same as it did Paul. He was a faithful companion. He was a hard worker. He was an indispensable part of Paul's ministry. And I have no doubt that the churches, as they knew that Paul was coming, they simply assumed that Tychicus was going to be right there by his side. They were a package deal as they traveled. And brothers and sisters, we need that in the ministry of the church. This is why God designed the church the way he did, with two offices, with elders and deacons, and why there ought to be multiple elders and multiple deacons in the church. It's why the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to write about the church using the language of, of a body, each part doing what it was designed to do so that the entire body might function as one. You see, when we seek to do it on our own, when we seek to live apart from God's people and seek to do our own thing absent from the body of Christ, we aren't just getting more of one another without you. As C.S. Lewis said about his friend Charles Williams, it's not just that you're gone, it's that a piece of all of us, it's a piece of all of the body of Christ is missing because we don't function and interact with one another in the same way that we do when you're here, when you're a part of the body. There's something unique that each and every one of us provides to the body that nobody else is able to do in quite the same way. And while it's certainly true that in theory, if there were others who could walk alongside Paul and do some of the, the duties that Tychicus did, they, they wouldn't have done them in the same way. 
And they wouldn't have made Paul who Paul was. And they wouldn't have made his ministry the success that it was in the way that his friendship with Tychicus did. Do you think Paul got discouraged along the way as he ministered to others? Of course he did. Who was there to encourage him and lift him up and, and call on him to pers- persevere to the end? It was Tychicus. Do you think issues came up where Paul needed to have someone help him think through a solution or to, uh, to, to, to know what the best counsel was that he could give to others? Absolutely. He would have talked to Tychicus. There were probably even times when, when Tychicus had to hold Paul accountable or encourage him to do the right thing because Paul was a man just like you and I. We can't do this Christian life alone. And, and I think it's incredibly fitting that after instructing us on some wonderfully profound theological truth in the first three chapters, and, th- and then dealing with all the implications of that truth as it plays out in the Christian life in the last three chapters, Paul's letter to the Ephesian churches ends with this reminder that we need companions in this life. We need partnerships. We need a body to to see us through to the end of the Christian life. We're not made to be Christian Rambos going out into battle on our own. We need the whole army with us. Just yesterday, Robert Cole and I were talking about the last scene in The Pilgrim's Progress. And if you're thinking right now, is he really about to tell us the end of the story? The answer is yes, I absolutely am. The Pilgrim's Progress was written in 1678, and it's been published more than any other book other than the Bible in the world. So if you don't know the end by now, I'm very sorry about that. You should. Seriously, you need to read it if you haven't. Charles Spurgeon read The Pilgrim's Progress every year of his life. It's an amazing book. Now, at the end of part one, Christian comes to the end of his journey, and before he can walk through the gates of the celestial city, he has to go across a river. And he asks others who are around if there's any other way, and they assure him that the only way into the city is through that river. And Christian was with his friend and companion named Hopeful. And here's what the story says. The others around could not guide them in the matter since the waters were deep or shallow depending upon their faith in the king of that place. Then Christian and Hopeful waded into the water, and upon entering, Christian began to sink. He cried out to his good friend Hopeful, saying, I'm sinking in deep waters. The billows are going over my head. All his waves go over me. Then Hopeful said, Be of good cheer, my brother. I feel the bottom, and it is good. Then Christian cried out, Ah, my friend, the sorrows of death have compassed me about. I shall not see the land that flows with milk and honey. And with that, a great darkness of horror filled Christian so that he could not see ahead. It was then that Christian lost his senses and his memory failed him and he could not talk in an orderly fashion of any of those sweet refreshments that he had met with on the way of his pilgrimage. All the words that he spoke were filled with horror and he feared that he should die in the river and never obtain entrance at the gate. He was greatly troubled by thoughts of his past sins committed before and during his pilgrimage. It was also observed that he was troubled with apparitions of hobgoblins and evil spirits which he continually spoke about. 
And it was everything that hopeful could do to keep his brother's head above water. Sometimes Christian, despite all of hopeful's help, would slip down into the waters and rise up again half dead. Hopeful continually tried to comfort him, saying, Brother, I see the gate and men standing by to receive us. But Christian would answer, It is you, it is you that they wait for. You have been hopeful ever since I knew you. And so have you, Hopeful said to Christian. So Christian's doubts and Hopeful's encouragements continue on for a while, but then Bunyan writes, Then I saw in my dream that Christian was in a bewildered stupor for a while. Hopeful spoke to Christian, encouraging him to be of good cheer, reminding him that Jesus Christ would make him whole. And with that, Christian shouted out with a loud voice, Oh, I see him again! And he tells me, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. Then they both took courage and crossed the river, and the enemy was as still as a stone. Christian soon found solid ground to stand on, and the rest of the river was shallow. So Christian and Hopeful crossed over the river and arrived at the other side. You see, even at the end of his journey... There was doubt, there was fear, there was questions of his salvation, there was temptation from the evil one, there was a lack of faith. And what means was used to get him across the river, to see him through the river? In large part, it was the faithfulness of his friend. It was the encouragement of his companion who walked the journey with him and continued to say to him, look to Christ. Look to Christ. He is our hope. He is our salvation. Christian would have never made it alone. And brothers and sisters, you and I will never make it alone. We need each other, and that's by God's design. There may be days or there may be circumstances in which you get hurt or frustrated or anxious about what's going on in your life and your relationships, and you may just want to throw your hands up and give up on the church and say, I'm done and I'm not doing this anymore. But we must continue to give of ourselves and to give room for others to give of themselves for our benefit that we can function faithfully and joyfully together in the body of Christ. I want to reach the healthful shores of the celestial cities with you locked arm and arm together through all of the difficult seas that face us. We need faithful partnerships if we're to do worthwhile ministry for the kingdom of God. And listen, you may think that you are not the most noble in the kingdom of God. You may think that you're a nobody in God's kingdom. You may think you have nothing to offer. But, but look here. We see this man, low-profile Tychicus. And what does Paul say of him? He was to be celebrated as a beloved brother and a faithful minister. And now here we are, 2,000 years later. Every time this is read, there is a thankfulness for Tychicus and his faithfulness among the people of Jesus' church the world over. You might suppose that your service to the kingdom of God means nothing, but it means much more than you will ever know. And it will mean much more than you ever know for many, many generations to come, should the Lord tarry. I want you to notice also in verse 22, in part, 
what that kind of gospel companionship includes. It, it includes making one another aware of what's going on in our lives. Paul sent Tychicus, he wrote, for the purpose of letting the people know how he was doing and, and what was going on and also to encourage them. Gospel-centered life in the church includes gospel-centered fellowship in such a way that we are sharing our lives with one another. Our struggles, our pains, our sins, our triumphs, our victories, our temptations and trials, our joys and excitements. Do you have other Christians in your life that you are painfully honest with? Do you have other believers you are regularly checking on and who are checking on you? The church should be filled with people who've gotten beyond the superficial and small talk with one another, who have instead invested themselves in being honest, in being trustworthy, honest about their own situation, and trustworthy so others can be honest with them. Let others know how you are and also strive to encourage their hearts. Well, not only should we have gospel companionship and partnership, but we should also look to our fellow believers in Christ with great affection. The second thing we see this morning, verses 23 and 24. Christians should desire what's best for our brothers and sisters in Christ. What do you value most for your fellow believers? What do you long for that your brothers and sisters in Christ might have in their lives? One of the things I learned many years ago as I started thinking about missions and benevolence and serving the poor is that our tendency as affluent Americans is to think that what would be best for a community or for a family or for an individual is a certain amount of money or infrastructure or material goods. And so our tendency is to go into, developing, into a developing nation or a third world nation and see poverty and poor hygiene and bad road conditions and think, well, we just need to come here and, and fix the roads and give these people clean water and some sanitation standards and they can apply all of this uh, to their community. And we could spend all of our time and all of our effort working to make these things possible and yet in the end never actually focus on what should be focused on. Some of you have heard me tell the story of a, a bush camp in Nigeria I went to about seven years ago. I was admiring a, a borehole to pump water in the middle of the camp that missionaries had come and put there for them. They had access to clean water right there. And I was with a translator and a group of women, and I asked these women, how has having this borehole changed life for you? And they all got quiet for a little bit, and one of them shyly said, we don't really like it. And I was puzzled. I asked them why. And they said, we wake up early to start fires and to cook and to prepare our meals. We go to bed late after everything is cleaned up and put away. We used to be able to leave to walk to the river to get our water. And we would sing together and we would fellowship with one another. But now we're never able to leave. You see, sometimes what we assume is best for our brothers and sisters in Christ may not be. Because we are so accustomed to looking at tangible things in life, instead of considering what's most important is the spiritual things of life. 
If what we are wishing for can only be defined by words like education, possessions, convenience, then we're valuing the wrong things. We see in our text where we ought to be wishing for our fellow believers in Christ. Look at the things that Paul is praying for. Peace, love, faith, and grace. These four things, and these are the greatest blessings we can wish and pray for. Now, please don't misunderstand me. There are tangible, physical ways that we, uh, we can and sometimes should serve other people, but we cannot let that be our primary focus lest we miss the target altogether. So let's look briefly at each of these well wishes. First, in verse 23, Paul writes, Peace be to the brothers. Now, most importantly, up front, we recognize that the only means to true peace with God is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You'll recall from our looking at the full armor of God in verse 15, we read that the Christian soldier is armed with the gospel of peace. And Paul reminds us in Romans 5 that since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is because we are justified... It is because of Jesus Christ that we are at peace with God. And so what is the result of that? Having peace with God means we also receive the peace of God. Christians have a peace that surpasses all understanding. And the Lord has designed our spiritual lives in such a way that the closer we draw to Him, the more peace we have in Him, because we understand more and more what He has truly purchased for us in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so the more I know of God's Word, the more I dwell with Him in prayer, the more I rely on the Holy Spirit in every aspect of my life, the more peace I have with God because I am resting in Him instead of myself or my own efforts. Do you know that kind of peace? Friend, if you don't know the peace of God because you are not in Christ, if you put your faith and trust in Him, you can know peace. You can know true peace and true hope and true satisfaction. Without Christ, you cannot know true peace because you're at odds with your Creator. You're at, you're at odds with the God of the universe. And if you don't know Christ, He can be your peace if you run to Him, if you put your trust in Him. It will, it will be a peace with God that you can know that all of your sins have been taken care of at the cross, that all of the sins of your past and all of the sins that you currently dwell in and all of the sins that you commit in the future are taken care of in Christ. And once in Christ, there is this wonderful peace with God and a peace given from God. And that's something we should be praying for, for ourselves and for one another. Because gospel peace is a peace that surpasses all understanding. Because when we face trials, when we face suffering, we are able to say, His grace is sufficient. Christ is enough. Come what may, I am content, I am satisfied in Him. For to me, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Remember earlier in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes, For He Himself is our peace. And then in chapter 2, in verse 15, he says that Christ miraculously affected peace between bitter enemies. He brought Jews and Gentiles together by creating in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. So he gives us peace with our brothers and sisters. 
And this is so sweet when it's experienced, for it comes when the Holy Spirit has, has equally and freely given course in our lives to live with one another in joy and peace and hope. Secondly, Paul prays for love. It's a common theme throughout Ephesians. He emphasizes love some 14 times, half of which, as he's referring to here, is a love among the saints, among the body of Christ. Remember back in chapter 1, Paul was, was praising the Ephesians for their love, and he wrote, Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now, let's be honest. Some saints are easier for us to love than others, right? Our personalities make... Some of you are looking at me like, yeah, you're the guy. (laughs) Don't say amen to that. (laughs) Our personalities make loving some people easier for us than loving other people. But we don't have the freedom to pick and choose who we want to love in the church. And the Ephesians were gaining this great reputation for loving not just the easiest to love saints, but all of the saints. That, brothers and sisters, is what I pray for our church. That loving all the saints would be our reputation. Theologically, everything is in place for us to love our brothers Peace has been made in Christ. God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We now have the ability to love because he first loved us. And all that remains for us to do is to do it. And the glorious fact is that as we continue to put on love, we will begin to wear it unconsciously. Is there someone you're struggling to love? Who does the Spirit bring to mind right now? Well, it's all covenant to love this person along with all of the other saints. Well, thirdly, Paul wishes the Ephesians faith. Faith has two elements. The first is which Paul is presuming that the Ephesians had already obtained. The first element of faith is is belief. To have true faith, we must believe what is true about God and revealed to us in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So faith begins with belief in the truth. But we also need the other element of faith, which is trust. Am I trusting the promises of God? Am I trusting that the Lord will do what he says he will do? Am I trusting that my faith in him is secure? In other words, are we trusting God on the basis of what we believe? Here at the end of Paul's letter, he's praying and hoping that all that he has written down in his letter will be trusted and that the faith of the believers will be strengthened. They will live out the truth and all of its implications in their daily lives and within their churches. And brothers and sisters, this is an important thing for us to be praying for one another, that our faith would be strengthened, that we would have a sure trust in God so when we walk through stormy seas and feel like we're drowning, when we can't feel the ground underneath our feet, Paul's prayer and ours should be the same, that the saints would put their whole weight on what is believed, rest fully in Christ, our firm foundation. Lastly, Paul wishes for grace. Remember in chapter 2, 
The apostle, the apostle reminded us very pointedly, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not for yourself, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no man can boast. You are who you are in Christ Jesus solely based upon the grace of God and nothing in and of yourself. But it's not just becoming a Christian where grace is necessary. We also need the grace of God that we will maintain loving communion with Him. I cannot expect to have a strong, thriving relationship with a God I have no interaction with. And so God has ordained means through which we can receive grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. One of those means is what we're doing right now. Gathering together as the people of God, considering His Word, praying together, singing together. We receive the grace of God through the Lord's Supper and baptism. All of these simple means that God pours His grace upon us and freely gives it to us. Do you want more of Christ? Do you want more peace, love, and faith, and grace in your life? Well, you need these means because you need grace. And so you need the means of grace that you might receive God in communion with Him day by day by day through the things that He has given. Brothers and sisters, I hope these are all things we are praying for, not only for ourselves, but for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And if we are to ask, what are the greatest needs of my fellow believers in Christ? Here they are, peace, faith, love, and grace. Well, Paul ends his entire letter with very touching words that give rise to our final point in verse 24. We must pray for one another that we love Christ more and more. Simple and straightforward. I want to love the Lord Jesus Christ in the way that Paul describes. I want a love incorruptible for our great Savior. And I pray for you that you will want and desire the same. From the beginning of this letter, we see that God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He chose us in Christ before the foundations of the world. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ to the praise of His glorious grace. Remember those great words in chapter 1? We saw that a love for one another is increased as, as we recognize who we are in Christ. And as we recognize what we have been rescued from, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, following the world and the flesh and the devil. But by the grace of God, through faith, we were given new life in Jesus Christ that we might walk in the good works that God has prepared for us beforehand. Being sanctified day by day that we can be more like Christ. We saw that by the work of Christ, the dividing wall of hostility was broken down between man and man, and it doesn't matter who you are or what you have done or where you come from, that if you are in Christ, you are one with all other Christians the world over. There are no super-Christians. There are no divisions of Christians. We are one body of Christ. So all of those superficial barriers that we create to think of ourselves more highly or more important than other believers are broken down in Christ so that we are able to live and strive together for the common cause of the kingdom of God. We saw that on account of the work of Christ, the Holy Spirit's work in us is worked out in such a way that we're no longer obligated to sin. 
but we can walk freely and faithfully in holiness, no longer tossed to and fro by the waves of false teaching and fleshly desires, but by standing firm in the body of Christ that is held together by all of the parts that Christ has given that we might be built up in him. We learned about the importance of the church and the gifts within the church that have been given for us to function in such a way that God is glorified, that the gospel is propagated, that the church is built up and encouraged in love. Paul showed us what it means to live as a people who are constantly seeking the advantage of others. Even when we are appointed to places of authority and leadership, we, like Christ, have been called to lay down our lives for the good of others, always thinking of ourselves last and living that others might see Christ in us and might glorify God as a result of our serving and loving them. He showed us that in Christ we are freed up to love one another with a love incorruptible that overlooks offenses, that makes reconciliation possible, doesn't hold grudges, doesn't give rise to hateful and hurtful words, but only gives grace to those who hear. Paul instructed us on what it means to be filled with the Spirit, to put on the new man in Christ, to put off the old self of the flesh. And the more we do that, the more we are able to enter into the spiritual battlefield, putting on prayerfully the whole armor of God that we not live lives of defeat, but of victory and triumph against all of the forces that are arrayed against us. Brothers and sisters, it has been a glorious journey through one of Paul's most important letters. And I pray God has used it for all of us that we might love Christ more and more. So may it be that our prayer for ourselves and for one another will be the same as it is with Paul. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. May we as the body of Christ love the Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we give you thanks for this wonderful, life-giving journey we have taken through Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We thank you for the love you have shown us as we have walked through each verse, as we've been challenged in so many ways, sometimes simply challenged to think, think of new, uh, think about new ideas and categories and teaching from your word that maybe we've never considered before, but challenged to think of our own hearts our own relationships with one another in the body of Christ, our relationships with those who are outside of Christ, most importantly, our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You've challenged us, Father, to consider our faithfulness, how we are walking. And I pray, O oh God, that all that you have given to us will continually come to mind as we walk through this life that we might be more faithful and that we might love the Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible. And we pray you would do that in our lives individually, in our homes, with our families, and with us as the body of Christ, knit together, bound together as our hearts are because of what Christ has done for us in Christ, our Redeemer, our Savior, and our most precious friend. We desire more of Christ, and we pray you would give him to us. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.